First Timothy chapter two, verses one through eight. And uh, we are in a, a series as we're going through and studying the book of First Timothy. And the series is called The Intentional Church. And uh, when I think about being the intentional church, is, uh, there's two areas that scriptures repeatedly call us to be intentional to. And that's to the area of prayer and to the area of evangelism. And uh, I believe our passage today actually hits on both of those. I don't know about you, but uh, when it comes to the, uh, the topic of evangelism, sometimes that's a, kind of a scary topic for us, isn't it? I don't know about you, uh, I've, I've experienced those times when uh, I know I should be witnessing to someone, I know I should be sharing Christ with them, and, but I have kind of that trepidation, that, uh, that kind of fear of, well, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? And something I've been found that's been helpful for me to kind of think through that is uh, something that was taught to me way back in seminary. And that was to think through that uh, pretty much for every believer, there's really three barriers, three barriers that uh, unbelievers have when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and hearing the gospel. The first one is this. It's uh, what we might call an intellectual barrier. That is, they, they don't they have some sorts of questions or they have they don't understand the true gospel. Or there's just something that they haven't quite understood yet. And what Scripture tells us our response to them is to be is that uh, we are to give them good answers. So we want to work and we want to give them good answers to their intellectual barriers. Uh, A second uh, barrier that unbelievers have is, is what we call sometimes the emotional barrier. That is, unbelievers have had a bad experience with the church. Or they've had a bad experience with those who have maybe called themselves Christians that, but weren't really Christians. Or maybe they were Christians, and as all of us Christians do, we make mistakes, and we don't represent Christ well, and they've, they maybe have a bad experience, and so it becomes a barrier to the gospel. And so what does Scripture say we do? Well, Scripture says the believer's response is to give good experiences. It is to share the gospel with grace and wisdom. And winsomeness. But then there's one last barrier, and this is really what we're going to focus in on today. And that is there is a barrier of the will or volition. That is, they just don't believe, they don't have faith, they don't want to believe. And so, what's our response to that? I think our scripture today outlines it, and it's the response is that we pray. We pray for what only God can do in the heart of a man. It's only God who can change the will of a man. Let me let me read from our passage to this morning. I'm going to read just part of it. It says in First Timothy chapter two, verse one, and just follow along with me. It says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and who all are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. One of the illustrations that illustrates when it comes to taking this passage of praying for the unbeliever, but also dealing with the the hard-heartedness or the will of man not to choose is the story that I heard of, uh, of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was the great evangelist from Chicago. He was taking a break, and he decided to go and to travel to England. And his plan in there in England was not to do any preaching. But if you know, if you're known to be a preacher, at least it's in my family, it doesn't matter if I'm on vacation or not. I'm always, Matt, can you give some kind of devotional right now? Matt, hey, how about you pray? I'm, I'm like the professional prayer at all family gatherings, all right? Well, D.L. Moody was in, uh, in uh, England, and a congregational minister came up to him and he says, would you please just come, and uh, we, we would just love for you to, to preach at our Sunday service and our Sunday evening service. D.L. Moody, just much to his dismay, he, he finally relented, and he goes and he preaches, and he goes, and as he's preaching, he senses the whole time, the whole morning service was just marked by just kind of a smug, indifferent drowsiness. And I've experienced that too, just kind of a, a drowsiness in the crowd. Usually it's because of my preaching, but in this case, I don't think it was D.L. Moody, but the crowd was just drowsy and unresponsive to the gospel at all. And it just made him go, oh, why did I ever do this? Why did I ever consent to preach? Well, he came back that Sunday evening because he said he would do the Sunday evening service as well. And he gave an evangelistic message. And as he came to the end of his message, he asked all those who were present with him who have decided to receive Christ in response to hearing the gospel, to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith, would you please stand? And remembering the morning service, he was just kind of, oh, they're going to be they're going to be dead again. But then as he looked out, as he asked them to stand, he saw hundreds, hundreds stand in response to the gospel. But he looked on in disbelief and he actually said, all right, everybody sit down. He had them all sit down again and repeat the gospel and the invitation again. And he just, to his disbelief, he just didn't think this could be the same crowd from the morning to the evening. And he said, all right, those of you, no, those of you who really want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, stand. And even more stood eventually came and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. D.L. Moody was kind of just bewildered about how can we go from just a very indifferent crowd in the morning to this hundreds responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ through this message and other messages that would just follow from that. And he did some research and he kind of started asking around. And, and before he knew it, he, he found out about a young lady who was bedridden. And her, girl, her name was Marian Adelard. This Marian Adelard had read about Moody's work in Chicago and his work of evangelism. And she read this report, and, uh, and it was a newspaper report, and she had put this newspaper report about him under her pillow. And she began praying that the Lord would take D.L. Moody and he, she would send him to, to England to come and to pray, preach in her church. Well, that morning when she heard that D.L. Moody had actually come, her sister came home and told her, she told everyone, I don't want anyone to bother me. 
I want everyone to stay out of my room. This is a bedridden young lady. And she gave that entire afternoon to pray for the souls of those in her church who she needed, knew that many needed to come to know Christ. And in response to those prayers of intercession, from a morning of indifference to an evening when people became spiritually alive and respond to the gospel, it was tied to this bedridden girl's prayers. See, it wasn't about an evangelist who was well-known in Chicago that made the difference. It wasn't about the evangelist who, who could provide them a good experience of hearing the gospel. It wasn't just so much about the evangelist of, of giving the right answers and we should do those things. We should provide those answers. We should give good experiences. But ultimately, it's about the God who can take spiritually dead people and bring them to life. It's about the God who can take a will that is set against him and turn them to faith in himself. And see, my exhortation for you and I today is that we, to be the intentional church that we need to be, when it comes to the area of evangelism and reaching our world for the cause of Christ with the gospel, that we ought to be a church that is marked by a priority to pray for those who yet do not know Christ. I believe that's what was Timothy's, or that was Paul's concern when he wrote this letter to Timothy. Notice what he says to him in this passage here. He says, first of all, then. Notice that. He's talking, remember, this is all in the context of prayer. This is all in the context about a Savior who desires for all men to come to know him as Savior. And he says this. He says, in light of all that I've told you, and in chapter 1 he has told them about how you need to deal with the false teaching. You need to deal with the false gospel that's being shared. You need to fight the good fight, Timothy, here in this church. You need to be a man of faith. In light of that, this is what I want you to do. First of all, then, he's saying, I want you to be marked by a priority of prayer. That is, as you lead this church, as you guide this church, you need to make prayer a priority. Notice what it says there. It doesn't say, it says, first of all, not seconds, not third, not fourth. Not if we have time for it, not if we can just tag it on into the service. But he says, first of all. See, this is really not a, a, a this is more about uh, the issue of primacy of importance than the primacy of time and sequence. He says, this ought to be primary importance in the church that you lead. Matter of fact, there's a book, there's a book by Bill Hybels, and I've never even read the whole book. I'm convicted by the title alone. The title of the book is Too Busy Not to Pray. That's all I needed to read. Isn't that not a great book? You can just read the title and you got all you, you needed from it. And the reality is that you and I, as busy as we are with kids and activities and job and work and, and this thing and that thing, we are too busy not to pray. We can't afford to go without making prayer a priority in our lives can't do it. There's, there's a couple reasons I want to give you. First is this, because prayer is an act of faith, the very way God calls us to live out the Christian life. That is, you and I are called to live the Christian life, not in our own strength, not in our own power, not in dependence upon ourselves, but we are to live our lives by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We're to live our lives in dependence upon God. And the way that we do this, and the reason why 
scriptures over and over repeat a call for us to pray is because when we are a praying people and we make it a priority, we are a dependent people on God. So we pray. We make it a priority. The second thing is when we pray, prayer brings God to bear on the situation we are facing and the people we are trying to minister to. See, that's what Marianne Adelar did. There was a situation when this man had come, this great man, an evangelist who came to preach. But she knew that she needed to bring God to bear on that situation if hearts and lives are going to be changed. And you and I, too, when we approach things, whatever it is, whether it's our work or whatever it is, our children, we need to bring God to bear. We need to come in prayerful dependence that we might bring him to come and work through us and in the lives and the hearts of these people. See, we can't afford not to make prayer a priority. Can't afford it. Prayer must be a priority that that marks our lives. Can't just be an add on. And the sad thing is that prayer not only just sometimes becomes an add-on in our, in our own personal lives, but also becomes an add-on sometimes in our own church services. Does. We, we push it on, in and around, and we tag it on here or tag it on there. Can't pray too long. People can't sit that long. Remember at one time I, in, in my first pastorate, I, was, uh, I just had urged the people. So, all right, we're going to take some time and we're going to pray. And I want you to pray together. Just pray together, pray in your families. Had someone come back to me later and said they didn't like it. They said, you know, my, my father was here and you made him feel uncomfortable. I kind of, sorry. Now, now I've learned, I've learned, I've grown wisdom, and, and there's ways that I call people out to pray, and I, and I give them options that they can pray by themselves and those kind of things. But prayer's too important that we, 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 we just tiptoe around the comfort of prayer and, and then just leave it out altogether. Now, what, 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 Christ, what he's calling this church to and Timothy to lead is that you make prayer a priority in your church. First of all, Notice this, too, though. Look what he says here. He says, I urge. He says, I urge them. Not, he doesn't command me. It's a, this word urge is a passionate plea. It's a, it's a plea from, from his heart that he's speaking here. He says, Timothy, I urge you. Make it a practice to lead these people in prayer. I urge you to, to, to urge that entreaties, that is requests and prayers. This is just speaking of great reverence to God. And, and, and then it says entreaties and prayers and petitions, a strong appeal on the behalf of others. And thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men or people. And then get this, what he says, for kings and who are all in authority. Guess who's the king at this time? Nero. Did I hear that right? Did you say all kings? Yeah. All kings. All people. See, what he's saying here is he's calling them to pray with an outward focus, just not an inward focus. So when he says uh, all men, he's not speaking just about all people generically, but it's the idea that you pray for everyone. Don't just, just, don't just pray for you believers, but pray, pray for Jews and Gentiles. Pray, pray for those who are, are believers and unbelievers. Pray for those who are friend and foe. 
And pray for even those people in government that you don't like that aren't in your party. He says, pray for those folks. Pray with, a, with an outward focus, it's not an inward focus. Here's the reality. Here's what often happens in our churches. Oftentimes we get the mentality or we have the temptation as, as Christians that we like to, uh, like to kind of huddle up. Like we like to form some sort of holy huddle that, that never really breaks out. Now, now that's important. It's one of the reasons we have fellowship families and small groups is that we need, to, we need to huddle up. We need to come together and we need to, to pray for each other and encourage each other and build each other up and remind each other of, of the truths in God's word. We've we got to do that. All right. But, but here, here's the danger. All right. It's when we get in those holy huddles and we huddle up like this. And all we ever do is look around to those in the inside and we never take the time to, to kind of peer out and say, all right. Who's not in the huddle yet? Who doesn't know Christ yet? Who is it that God's still working in our hearts that we hope that he brings them to this huddle someday? Who is it we need to be turning out and, and, and praying for them? See, that's what, that's what Paul's calling here for. He's saying, guys, yeah, make it a part of what you do. Pray for each other. Lift each other up. All right. Pray for Dorothy's arthritis. Do it. Pray for that. But also pray for those who haven't yet come to Christ. Pray for those who are in authority. I also don't think he's talking about praying in sweeping generalities. I don't know about you. Have you ever been tempted to pray like this? God bless everybody to the best possible way. Amen. Or maybe you prayed a, a, a tiny Tim prayer. God bless us, everyone. All right. That's it. I think from the testimony of Scripture, I think from the example of Jesus Christ. All right. Jesus Christ didn't spend hours in prayer just praying broad, general prayers. I think we're, we're to pray specifically. We, we pray specifically for those who, who are in places of authority. Right, I had a, a friend. His mother, they grew up in Indiana, and uh, she, she made this, this heart that she would pray. She would pray regularly and consistently that Bobby Knight, the coach of Indiana, would come to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That, that was her prayer, always. I don't know if Bobby Knight ever did, but that, that was her prayer. And she prayed specifically for that, and she probably also prayed that the Hoosiers would win, too. But here, he's not calling for coaches to be prayed for, but he's calling for those in authority. And so why does he do this? Look what verse 2 says. In order that we may lead a tranquil, that is an out, where we might have an outward peace, and a quiet life, that is we might have an inward peace. In all godliness, that is, that is as we live, we'll be marked by godliness. That those around us will see our, our reverence for God and in all dignity, that is, there will be an outward manifestation of our, our attitudes and our actions of this righteous behavior and this reverence that we have for God. See, when we pray for those who are in authority, God just might move in their hearts and their lives in such ways to make the societal conditions favorable for the outreach of the gospel. See, I don't think the heart of this prayer and the benefits of this prayer are just so life will go easy for us. See, I think the broader context continues to show us that the heart of this prayer and why we're praying for these in authority is because 
Paul wants the gospel to go forth. He says, hey, you pray for these leaders because, see, it's the, those who are in authority, it's the kings and those in authority who influence the society and the situations. It's those that impact it. And we want to go to the one who can influence those who are in authority. Matter of fact, the scriptures tell us that when, when God wants to, when God so desires, he can, he can move leaders. The story, if you go back in the Old Testament, uh, we find that when God wanted to deal with his people, when he wanted to discipline his people, the people of Israel, he took the haughty king of Assyria and, and he turned him into a, a rod of iron for himself to discipline his own people. We're told of the story of Nebuchadnezzar that when the great king of Babylon, when he said this to himself, let me, let me read you what he said. He says, is this not the Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty? Remember that? Remember that story? You, you remember what happens a few, few verses later? God takes this very prideful king and he causes him to start eating grass. And then when he finally brings this king back out of his mind, guess what the king says? The king says this. He says, and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. He went from saying, hey, it's about my majesty. He turned around and says, all right, let me tell you whose glory it's about. It's God. And he says, for his dominion is everlasting and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as from as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth and no one get this and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? See, let me just give you a reason. The reason we go and we pray for those in authority. The reason that we go to God who can change the winds of power in our world is because no king, no authority, no president, no premier can ward the hand of the Lord when it comes to accomplishing his purposes. I don't care who's in political power. No one, no one can ward off the purposes of God. And so that's why we take those who are in leadership, those in authority, and we take them and we thank them for them. Because imagine a life without a government. And even if we don't like their politics, we take them to the Lord and we say, you work in his heart. You somehow work and move in his heart to, to, to promote good in this world and favorableness for the gospel. So we take them to prayer. But again, what's at the center of this prayer? Well, I think the whole context, as we start to see in verses 3 through 7, is that it's a gospel-centered focus to this call for prayer. I see in these verses here, when we pray for salvation, I see four things that come out. The first is this. God is pleased for it is his will to do so. It is God is pleased when we pray for the salvation of unbelievers and when we pray for those who are kings and are in authority. God is pleased by that. Look what the pastor says. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. One of the things that the church of Ephesus, that Timothy was leading there, was no doubt that their, their false gospel that was being taught was causing confusion and it was causing self-centeredness. And he, so he's calling them back, saying, hey, don't you, it's just not about you, but turn out and pray for others. And he's saying, when you do this, when you pray for others, when you pray for their salvation, this in essence, this in some senses, it puts a smile on God's face. 
He's pleased by it. So you want God to smile over you? He will delight when you take time to pray for those who haven't come to Christ. It's good and it's acceptable to him. The second thing is this. Our hearts beat in rhythm with God's. Look at verse 3 says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. It's like, it's like he's exhorting them to pray, and then he's saying, here, here's why I want you to be praying for these. He says, let me remind you. It's about a God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Now, let me bring some clarification here. When he says he desires all men to be saved, this term desire denotes a desire of emotion, not desire of will. That is, God has not willed or decreed that all will be saved. He hasn't. Scripture clearly reveals that. God, God can't just say everyone be saved. He can't just overlook sin. All right? God has made a way of salvation. If a people would turn and put their faith and trust in Christ, he will save them. All right? But he just can't pass over sin and say everybody's saved. His justice demands that payment be made, and the justice can be met in the personal work of Jesus Christ. But if you don't choose to believe that, you have to meet the justice yourself in eternal separation from God. But in his being, his emotions, and he, he is moved by this desire that, that all will come and be saved. He has a passion and a heart to see lost men come to faith in the, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's his desire. It's this desire that is expressed in the words of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. It's a desire that is seen in the reality as one author wrote, as, we, as Christ was on the cross, his arms were opened wide as they were nailed open wide. In a sense, as if he was embracing the world. See, it was this desire that put Christ there. It was his desire that as he was there nailed on the cross that he prayed over the soldiers and those below the foot of the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's that desire, that heart, and that passion. It was that heart that when, there, when a, 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 a thief on the cross repented and put his faith in Christ, that Christ joyfully was able, even in the midst of his anguish, today you will be with me in paradise. See, God's heart is for the lost. And when we pray, when you and I pray for the, for the lost, our hearts begin to line up with God's more fully. Our hearts begin to beat in rhythm, uh, and they beat in rhythm with what God's heart beats for. Matter of fact, if you, if you, there's never a place where you can feel, I think, more closely to God than when our hearts are beating in rhythm with God's and they're aligned with Him. And when we know that it's God's desire and God has a passion for the lost, I think there's no more closely that you'll feel to God as than when you have a heart for the lost and you pray for them. You reach out to them. Now, it's vital to pray because the lost, because the mission of the gospel is inclusive. It invites all to come, but it's exclusive in the content so when we pray for the lost, we address the unbeliever's only hope of salvation. Look what it says here. It says, for there is one God, there's only one God, he's one, it's one God in person, or he's one in essence, but three in persons. 
and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That is, there's only one who could mediate this covenant between man and God. And that is the man Christ Jesus, who we know also to be God. Only he could be the perfect sacrifice that could pray the, pay the payment in order to allow God to be just and justifier of those who would come and put their faith and trust in Christ. It says there's one mediator soul between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. That is, there's only one payment. You can't make the payment. Someone else can't make the payments. Only one person could pay the ransom that sin demands, and that is the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a most intolerable message in our society today, is it not? You want to make enemies real fast? You want to raise up anger in people? Just tell them there's only one way to God, and that's through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it won't go over well. Matter of fact, one of my, my favorite preachers, Tony Evans was called by the mayor of Dallas. They called up and said, Tony, would you come up to the city council meeting for, for prayer? And he said, yes, ma'am, I, I, would, I would be glad to come. I'd be glad to come. She said, only one thing, only one thing. Um, don't mention Jesus. Because we have atheists and agnostics, you know, Jewish people, and so we don't want to offend anybody, so just kind of keep a generic God, all right? Now, I don't know what happened in between that conversation and what else he, he said. All right? I don't know how, if they worked out a deal or what they did, but I do know what he prayed. Okay? You want me to share it with you? You, you want to hear it? All right, let, let, me, let me read it to you. He says this. He opened up with this prayer as he walked up there. He opened up and says, Now, Heavenly Father, the city council has invited me down here today to open up their session today in prayer. I can only assume by their request they want me to reach you. You have already told me that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. So I cannot possibly do what they asked me to do without including him unless I not get it done. So first of all, I want to thank you for creating the city council because it is you. If you didn't create them, they couldn't be here to make decisions. And according to Colossians 1, everything that was made was made by Christ Jesus. I also want to thank you for government because that's why they are here to govern. And of course, government is in scripture in Romans 13, where God, through the apostle Paul, instituted government. The same apostle Paul who met Jesus on the Damascus road. Now, if we have any council person today that do not understand that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, bodily rose from the dead and is physically coming back again. Would you explain that to them sometime today? Now, let me put a caveat on that. I don't know, again, I don't know what he said. Personally, I would be very upfront and say, I can't give you a generic God. But the point is this. We don't help anybody by praying to a generic God. We help nobody by having such cold tolerance. The only way we're going to help somebody is if we take them to the God if we take them to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, if we pray on behalf of them in His name and to Him, are we going to be a help? 
Now, how do you put this together, Matt? Let me, let me show you one way I've learned. What is a way that we can take this example of, of praying and also evangelizing? Well, one thing I want you to do is, first of all, I've put a little place in a chart, just a little chart there in your sermon notes. And I want you to think about it. What is one person in one of these spirits? I want you to look at it. All right, get it out. Okay. I want application. We, we need it. This is, we're not playing games here. All right, this is important. I want you to look at that chart. And I want you to begin to think about it. In a few moments, I'm going to give you time to write in that space. Okay. And we're going to pray for these people here in just a few moments. But I want you to begin to think about, all right, God, who are you calling me to? Who is it? Without distinction, who are you calling me to pray for? I can't pray for everybody, but there are people that you put in my circle of influence. And who can I take them to prayer? And pray for whatever needs in their life, but also pray for them. What area of family or friends or, or neighborhood or community or, or workplace or, or people and home and country and abroad? They're there, folks. They're all around us. You, you, you all know my wife, and my wife is very hospitable here, but she's also very hospitable in, in, uh, in, my, in our neighborhood as well. She does a much better job of getting to know her neighbors than me, okay? Much better. And just recently, because of her hospitality, she's lined up shepherding appointments for me, okay? There, there's a lady next to us who has, uh, sadly has come down with MS. And she says, well, my husband can come and pray for you. We're going to make you a meal, and, and Matt's going to come. And guess what? They said, yes, would you, would you have him come? So I want you to be praying for me as we go and pray. We don't believe these people are, are believers. Then I had another guy just up the other street. I, I didn't really know what was going on. Of course, my wife knew what was going on, but he's having a major knee surgery. And all of a sudden, Larry comes out up the street, and he's saying, hey, he's just kind of waving to me. And he's coming, and he starts giving me the details of when his surgery is going to be. And he says, well, I'll find out the exact time on Monday. And I said, well, I guess I'm supposed to be praying for you because my wife's already talked to you. So I'll be praying for you. All right. Let me know those details. See, they're all around us. We need to be praying for them. We need to be intentional in doing that. Now, Paul, he, he, he transitions here. You see, when we pray for people, we pave the way for the proclamation of the gospel. Look what it says here. And for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying as the teacher of the Gentiles and faith and truth. So here he is. There's this progress that's going on. He's saying, pray for all people without distinction. Then he, then he takes this little uh, caveat where he says, hey, here's what God desires. This is why we pray for them. And he says, here, let me give you a little reminder about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, you know what? We're going to pray for them. But guess what I do? All right. I also proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And so we want to pray for people, but we also want to look for an opportunity to go and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. So I'm going to have an opportunity to pray for my neighbors. Here's what I want you to be praying for me, and I'm going to be praying as well. And as I go and I care for these people practically, and as I pray for them, at the same time, as I'm praying, as you'll be praying too, that God will open up in their hearts to see that here's a man and a woman of family that cares for me. And that will open up a door where I can also share with them why I care because of the person of Jesus Christ. Let me show you how you can put this together. Okay? So you've got that chart. Let me show you something that was taught to me. And I found it very helpful. 
and that way that you can use prayer to pave the way for the proclamation of the gospel. It's first this, all right? First thing I want you to do is I want you to identify a non-Christian in your sphere of influence you're praying for. And then I want you to take the next step is this, all right? I want you to go to them and I want you to interact with them and say something like this, all right? There's several examples there. I have a concern to pray for people or I have a ministry of praying for people. Did you know that's your ministry? I just made it your ministry, or actually God's word just made it your ministry here for you. You're to be praying for all. It's your ministry. You know, so you go and you tell them that. And then after you, you pray for them, they, they, you say, is there anything this week that I might pray for this week? And if they're slow to it, you might just say, well, any area in your family, your health, your job. And I tell you what, they'll, they'll come out with something. See, this is a very non-threatening way to care for someone and share the gospel with them. I mean, who doesn't want someone to pray for them? I mean, if an atheist is sick enough, he'll, he'll ask you to pray for them, all right? It will. And then pray for the request. Pray for their salvation. And pray that a door will be shared to be opened. And then as you follow up, ask them for more requests and then share the gospel with them. One way that I've used this is I've even used it when I've gone to uh, restaurants before. It's like, all right, how do, I inter- how, do, how do I engage with people about the gospel? How do I do that? So I've, I've had uh, waitresses and waiters come before, and I just, uh, they're serving me, and I'll just say, you know, uh, is there a way I can pray for you? Now, after they do the double take, okay, you just tell them, hey, do I have a ministry of prayer. Is there a way I can pray for you? At one time I had a guy go back, it was, I was at IHOP, and he went back and he, he thought about it, and he came back and he told me. And he, he had put a lot of thought into it. And I said, all right, I'll be praying for you. And sometimes what you can do is you sense it, you can say, hey, here's why I pray. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. It's something you can do. Paul concludes with this. He says there in verse 8, he says, therefore, I want, he, not, he takes it up from an urge. He takes it up a little bit stronger. He says, I want men in every place to pray. I want you to know something about this word here of men. It's not the same word that was used earlier, more of, of all people, but it's the, it's the word that ex- refers exclusively to men versus women. He says, therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. In essence, what, what, what Paul is doing here, and he'll, he's going to address this issue more in, in the passages that follow, is he's saying, hey, guys, and I think it's very, very intentional. Guys, I want you to take a leadership in this. I want you to be the leader of the guys in the church who are, who are calling out on God and praying for the lost. Now, obviously, we want women praying, and they should be, and they're called to pray. But there's just something different. There's something different when a guy bucks up and he mans up and says, you know, what? I'm going to fight for the faith. I'm going I'm to live out this Jesus Christ thing. There's just something amazing when men step up and they say, I'm going to be that leader, that spiritual leader in my home. I'm going to be that leader in the church. But you don't have to call on me to pray. I'll pray. It may not come out all smooth and eloquently or anything like that, but I'll pray. You know what? God doesn't care how it comes out. He cares about your heart. 
And what I'm calling you guys, along with myself here, is we might be the men that pray. I love the, the statement by Ian e. Bounds, who is a great writer on, on the issue of prayer. He says this, the church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. The Holy Spirit does not throw, flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer and women of prayer as well. Folks, I want you to imagine with me for just a moment. Imagine if you and I were, if we were to be the intentional church that this passage is calling us out to be. What if you and I, guys, what if you and I, ladies, if we were to take this passage and we were to get serious about it, we were going to say, you know what, I'm going to write down some names. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for these people who are hard-hearted towards Christ. What if we got serious about it and we, we said, you know what, I'm going to take at least one, just one. I'm going to just take one. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to go up to them and I say, how can I pray for you? And I'm going to pray for them. Just imagine what, what, what Christ might do through us. Imagine what hearts might be changed if you and I were to apply the truth of the Scripture. What I would like us to do now, since it's the global day of prayer, and as the lights are going to be turned down a little bit, and as the worship team is going to come, we're just going to spend just a few moments I want you to take out that, that uh, notes there and those blanks. I want you to take them out. And in the quietness of your heart, I'm not going to ask you to pray with anybody else. In the quietness of your heart, I just want you to just kind of look at that sheet right now. Just go ahead and bow your heads. And I want you to begin to ask, all right, God, who is it? Who is it right now that you're calling for me? to pray for? Who is the God that you would have me commit to pray regularly for? Who is it in my, my neighborhood that I can be praying for? Who in my community or city? Who amongst my family and friends or in my workplace? Who, who is it? What, who are those in authority that you're calling me. And I want you to just write that down. Write it down. Take the time if you've got a pen in your hand or write it down now. Don't wait. I know, I know what happens when you go home. You put it away. And I'll just spend some time right now. For the next just couple minutes and just pray for these people. Pray that uh, they might begin to have their hearts softened. Pray that they might begin to see their need for a Savior. Pray perhaps that is if they do have bad experiences with Christianity in the church that God will provide people to give them a, a true display of what Christ's likeness looks like. Pray for those with intellectual questions and that God will show them or use you or others to give them answers. But most importantly, pray that God will just take their hearts from a place of spiritual death and bring spiritual life in Christ.
Also pray right now how God might use you. Pray for him to give you the strength and the boldness to maybe just take one of these people to write down and just approach them and ask how you might be praying for them. And then, Lord, and then, then as you're praying for them, ask the Lord to open up doors that you can share the gospel with them as well. And as you do this, and as the Lord works in your heart, we're going to ask you to let us know about that. One of our goals this year is that all, each one of us would be sharing Christ with others. So if you just let us know on those connection cards, who it is you're praying for and who you've reached out and asked for prayer and how you can pray for them, let us know in the weeks and the months ahead. God, we come and on this global day of prayer, we want to enjoy, join in with other believers all around the world. And Lord, we want to come and we first of all want to pray for those who are in authority and those who are in power. And Lord, we just uh, pray that you will work in their hearts. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our president that, Lord, that he will truly have come or he will come to a place where he will put his faith and his trust in the person and work of Christ alone. We pray that you'll do that work in his heart. We pray the same for our governor. We lift him up to you. We pray, Lord, that he may make decisions that are in accordance with your word. Lord, we want to come and we want to pray also for those who are perhaps on our list. Lord, as I think about my neighbors in my, uh, on my street, I think about the woman with MS and I think about the neighbor having knee surgery. And I pray right now for them. I pray for their hearts that they might come to a place where they see their need for a Savior. And perhaps, Lord, you might use my family in their hearts and lives to point them to you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here that you will work in their hearts. And, Lord, help us all as a church to be intentional. Help us to keep each other accountable and encourage each other in this call to pray for others. Lord, use us. Use the people of Fellowship Bible Church to pray and to reach out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. And Lord, we just ask that you will be glorified in this and that you will be praised. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand and sing in response. Jesus, only Jesus. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus. And who can make the blind to see? That set us free He paid it all To bring us peace Jesus Only Jesus 
de 